we have been talking about living the mission. And Corey Swanson, one of our elders a few weeks ago, started talking about getting ready. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about um, preparing your minds for action and looking at what Jesus said about the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build this collection of people in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he, and he sets up this idea that there, there's two opposing forces in the world right now. You've got the church who's bringing the good news of Jesus Christ, the life-giving message that he has to rescue a world that is broken and dying because of sin. And then you've got the gates of hell, which is the consuming force of evil that we ultimately die because of sin. And, and, but Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And so we carry a message as the church. Jesus is building the church and, and we are on a mission together. Last week, John Meek was here from Spokane, Washington. By the way, thanks for your donations. I think we raised about 17 or $100 or so to send back to Destination Church. And then we also gave them some additional funding out of our general funds to sow into that ministry there. But I appreciate your generosity with John. But John uh, spoke to something that I think is really foundational and important when we're wrestling with what it means to live the mission in the kingdom. And he drew attention to Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift, is the gift of God. And John talked about operating uh, in grace. And, and when it comes to the idea of living the mission, you know, we, we get really serious about it. I mean, when someone says to us, you have a mission, you got to accomplish this. Cue the James Bond music, right? And, and it's like intense and I got to get it done and I got to be tough and cool and all these things in order to accomplish it. And we can get real legalistic very quickly about our mission. But we have to stop and remember that a cornerstone of our faith and part of the operating system from which we operate is the grace of God. You will accomplish nothing without God. You can't earn anything without God. You will get nowhere without God. You cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps and accomplish holiness and obedience apart from God. Everything is from the grace of God because he loved us, because he cares about us because he cares about you. And so we draw our energy and our power and our motivation, not from a legalistic or I'm a tough guy kind of attitude about accomplishing the mission, but because God has grace for us to do so. There's no other way to accomplish this mission except through the grace of God. So we need the grace of God in our lives, and it's so important. I so so appreciate that John brought that, because again, when we're talking about this idea of mission, and I and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, we can start to feel guilty. Like, am I doing enough? Well, probably not. So do I choose to feel guilty about that and condemn myself and be paralyzed because I'm not accomplishing what I think I should be and just beat myself up over it? Or do I embrace the grace of God and keep moving? You know, his mercy is new every morning. Every single morning, God's mercy is new for you. And you can wake up in this broken mess of the life that we're in sometimes and go, thank you, God, that today is brand new. It's brand new. Your mercy is new. Forgive me for yesterday and my shortcomings, but your grace is sufficient for today and the things you have for me to accomplish. Isn't that so good that God has blessed us in that way? He could have been so much more cruel, but he's not cruel. He's just and he's loving. Perhaps when you were in high school like me, 
You were sitting in some class. Maybe your children have said this to you. Um, but I definitely said it. I was sitting in Mr. Silliman's, uh, well, what year was I, a sophomore in high school, learning geometry. And I said these famous words that probably every human that ever had to go through geometry said at some point or another, math in general, really. I will never use this. Amen. <laughs> yeah, we do that. It's like, why do I need to know the derivatives and antiderivatives and formulas? And who cares if A squared plus C, B squared equals C squared? I care. I didn't at the time, Right? I'm learning this theory. I can't possibly see how it applies to my life. I don't know what it has to do with anything under the sun. Who in the world uses this? And then I became an adult, and I got a job in the heating and air conditioning trade where I had to fabricate geometric fittings from flat pieces of sheet metal. Guess who uses Pythagorean's theorem every day in his career? Anybody had an experience like that? You contractor types, construction guys, A squared plus B squared equals C squared matters. You want the building to be square and straight and all the the true lengths of triangles to make sense? Got to know this stuff. Well, we, when we're young and we don't quite visualize things yet, we we don't we don't we we have this knowledge, but we don't understand how it applies to our real life. Understanding truth is not the same thing as applying truth. Understanding truth is not the same thing as applying truth. And so in the kingdom of God, we can learn all of these different things. We can take in all this information, but we don't really understand it until we apply it, until we begin to live it. The word of God comes to us that we might obey and be like God and be conformed into his image and live the life that he has for us. You could argue and say that you don't even really understand something until you've had to live it yourself. So I could do the math on a piece of paper, but until I had to apply it in my real life, did I really understand it? And I can learn about God and his principles, and I can have all the knowledge about it in the world, but if I don't live it or apply it in some way, do I really know it? Do I really understand the theory completely? 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. John has such a kind way of communicating in his letters. There's a, you can hear it in his, his writing style, his tenderness, and he uses words like this, little children. He's just got such a, a family-oriented way of communicating when he's writing. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What is John encouraging his listeners to do? Let's not just talk about it, Let's not just hear about it. Let's do it. Let what we know be seen in the way that we live and in the way we talk and the way we treat one another and how we behave. Let's bring it out of the realm of just thinking or talking about it or hearing about it and let's begin to apply it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We looked at this passage in James chapter 1, verse 22 a couple of weeks ago. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And when I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago, it led me into some conversation with you about 
um, our, our culture around us and the way culture influences us. And one of the things that happens in, in in a materialistic kind of society that we live is we can kind of get lulled into a position of filling ourselves with information but actually never doing anything about it. Never applying it. Never wrestling with how it applies in my life. So I might know something is true but I'm not going to do anything about it. And we get this consumer kind of thinking going on. I just want to fill myself up. Like, you know, it's just like with food, if we fill ourselves up with lots and lots of calories, but we never take any action, they just start to accumulate, right? We're called to take action with what we're taking in. So when we're taking in information in our minds, we're taking in the truth of the word of God, we're called to not just be hearers. And the idea of living the mission is, is a, it's a concept of action, not just spectating. We talked about a couple weeks ago about life cannot be lived on the sidelines. We can't sit outside the church and look at the church and judge and have opinions of the church and not be the church. We are the church. Church is not a building. It's not the meeting. It's the people. The people gathered to, to God as his children. I know that there are lots of different ideas about what church is and, and how it's supposed to operate. The scripture is full of instruction in the New Testament, particularly about how is the church to operate. There's, there's structure in the church. There's authority in the church. There's order in the church about how it operates, how it relates to one another. You know, what, what should its gatherings look like? What are some key components? Whether it's communion or baptism or the teaching of the word or worship, all things, we didn't just make those up. Those all came from the word of God. And those things all instruct us as who we are as a church. And so when we're taking inventory of our lives, we have to, have to reflect on the idea that God has called us to action. But have we been lulled to sleep or lulled to inaction in a culture that promotes consume, feed me, make me happy, make me comfortable. And yet God has called us to more than that, that we would be a people who hears the word and then does it. God has called us to a mission. And that mission is much more than attending a meeting on Sunday morning. And I want to look at some of those passages today. I really, when it comes to this idea of hearing and doing, I think it's really important to stop and, and ask yourself, what really is truly satisfying in the depths of your soul? What really brings true satisfaction and a sense of accomplishment in life? You know, we, we live in a living for the weekend kind of mode of operation. If I get the newest toy, I'm going to be happy. If I spend this weekend out on my boat, that'll make me happy. If I, if, if, when, when, whenever those material things are satisfied in me, then I will be happy. But isn't it interesting, like, even if you take a box today and you take your family out to the grocery store and you buy some of those canned goods and you return it to the church, knowing that somebody will get to enjoy that, is there a satisfaction greater than having done something good and right? in the world. I think it's an interesting thing about sin. Sin is, is tempting that it will satisfy us, but it's false. 
It's the opposite of God. Only God can truly satisfy. And when we participate in sinful behavior, thinking that it will satisfy us, we come up very empty and dissatisfied. Because sin can never satisfy like following God can satisfy. When you really uh, take a moment to do what God has challenged you to do, to obey him, or whatever part of the mission that you're, you're, God's working in your life right now, I don't think there's anything more satisfying than that at the end of the day. I can chase, my, chase the wind in all kinds of ways, trying to satisfy myself. I will not be truly happy until I wrestle with how do I actually obey God? And I don't, not out of a legalistic position or that somehow I'm going to make God love me, but understanding that cornerstone of grace, that, that uh, he cares, and when I bring myself into alignment with him, I will be blessed because of that. We want to operate in God's reality. So we don't want to just take in the information. We want to live it. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 28. I think I'll start with verse 18 on your screen there. If you're familiar with your Bible or you're familiar with this passage, it probably has a heading at the top of it. And what does it say? The Great Commission. See, you didn't even have your Bible open and you knew that. What's it called? The Great Commission. Now, the Bible doesn't call it that, but we do. It's a label that we've put on this. So Jesus has just suffered and died on the cross. He shed his blood as the ransom for your sin. He is then raised from the dead as, as one who has conquered death, giving us the promise that we also will conquer death. He's walked with his disciples uh, for, for a period of time here, and now he's getting ready to return to heaven, where he is today and will return for us someday. And we pick up the story here. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Key sentence here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has just accomplished this amazing work of salvation and forgiveness of sin on our behalf. He said, I just did this for you. I have authority. I'm going to go Here's what I'm leaving for you to do while I'm gone. You know, Jesus told a number of parables where there were Pete, where he does the illustration of someone who has gold or talents, minas, he's got property and things like that, and he's leaving it for people to steward, and he's going away, and he's going to come back someday and reward them accordingly. And we're reminded of this. It's happening in a very real sense. Jesus is ascending into heaven as the head of the church, as the one who has accomplished this for us. And he's saying, I want you to do this while I'm gone. This is the commission of the church. It's, the, it's what the church is called to do. And in everything that we do, this needs to be somewhere in the big picture for, in all of our minds that there is a mission from God for the church to be accomplishing. And when I say church, I mean you. I don't mean clergy, I don't mean office staff, I don't mean pastors or priests or anything like that. I mean you. What is the church? It's you and me together. We're the church. And we were given a mission. So I want to break down this sentence a little bit to you. Um, just like math, I didn't pay very close attention to English when I was in high school, but when you look at this sentence, we see some key words. We see words like go, therefore, and 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, observing, things like that. But the focal point of this sentence, if you, if you look at the key words right there, make disciples, make disciples. What's the objective of this entire mission? What's the objective of going or baptizing or teaching what is the goal? It's that disciples will be made. Now, if you, this word, we have two words here. Make is kind of an action word, and disciples is sort of the subject of the action there. See, I'm making up my own English terms. I have no idea. I should have talked to somebody probably before I preached about it. But that, that phrase that's translated, make disciples, is only one word in the Greek, and it's a verb. It's a verb. It's an action word. And JR, if you, have, if you don't listen to me preach very often, you know that I make up words, okay? Well, if I could make up a word to translate this, it would be discipleize. Discipleize. It's a word now. You'll see it in the dictionary probably in a few years. Discipleize. It's one word. It's make disciples. It's the focus of the grammar even in the Greek. So we can talk about, well, the, the Great Commission is that we go. The Great Commission is that we baptize. The Great Commission is that we teach. All those things are imperatives. They're, they're part of it, but they're all pointing at that one focal point of the sentence. Make disciples. Discipleize the people. Jesus left, and if, and if J.R. wrote a translation of the Bible, which we, none of us want that, it would say, go and discipleize the people. All nations, all people groups. And how do you do it? You have to go. You do have to go. It's an important part of the equation. And oftentimes we hear this preached in context of missionaries and missions. And that would be true. But you, I think it's equally important to understand that you right now, in whatever context you live and operate, you are sent by God whether you're going to school every day of the week, whether you go to your job, whether you go to the gym to work out, whether you're out fishing with your buddies, you're going to go spend time with your family over Thanksgiving and they'll drive you crazy, these kinds of things. It's all your mission. It's all where you're sent. We're to go. We're to understand that we are a people on mission. We've been commissioned. We're sent. We're going every day in our lives. And what are we doing? We're looking for opportunity to disciplize people. To make them followers of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is someone who receives instruction in a, in a real simple form. And I just think it's interesting that in that particular definition that they said receive instruction. Now, I can teach you all day. Your teacher in school taught you many things. But what did you actually receive? It isn't just about taking in information. It's about really laying hold of it. Just like salvation is a free gift of God, you've got to lay hold of it. You've got you to receive that gift of salvation. In the same way, as disciples of Christ, we need to receive his teaching. How he lived and operated. How he, how he was equally loving and just. How he was able to navigate these things. We need to receive his character, his nature, his teaching, and make it a part of who we actually are. And it ought to prompt us to action. What action am I taking based on the information that I know? Or am I content simply to hear? So we see that we go, we teach, we baptize, and that he is with us on this mission.
We are a people on mission. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the day? It's the end of the age. It's the culmination. It's when he returns. Let us consider how to stir one another up. So when the church, you know, we don't want to forsake meeting together. I, I run into, this is just an example, but I end up in conversations with, more often with men in this situation. But it's like, well, I, I don't come to church because my church is in the woods when I'm out hunting. Like, that's just doctrinally false. That's absolutely not true. I understand the sentiment. You want to go be alone in the woods, you want to hear from God and be with God, but that's not the church. The church is the gathering of the people. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be also. Isn't that interesting? I know he's with me when I'm alone. I absolutely believe that. But why did he use that terminology? God has called us to community, to be together, to be the church, that your gifts and my gifts, that your personality, everything that you bring to the table is part of the whole work, the whole mission that's going on. See, if I'm out on my own, I am very limited in, in what I'm able to do. Like, I, you know, amongst my friends, I'm not the guy that plans fun. I need other people in my life to help me be fun because I'm not capable of it on my own. Okay, I got, there are people that maybe you're very caring and compassionate and, and somebody else is not. We, we all need each other. We all need what we bring to the table in order to function as the body of Christ. But if I'm all on my own as an individual and calling that church, I'm way off of biblical base there. We have, we have to raise the value of the church in our minds and realize this is what God is doing on the earth. He is using his people together to bring the life-giving, transformational power of his son into the lives of others. And he's using us collectively to do it. He doesn't do the Lone Ranger thing. There's nothing in scripture that indicates that we can separate from the rest of the body of Christ and be as productive and powerful on our own. In fact, quite the opposite. We're not called to be Lone Rangers. And so when Hebrews talks about this, do not neglect the meeting together. Don't neglect it. Hold it in value. Hold it in high regard. Because we need each other. We, we need the accountability. We need the motivation. Iron sharpens iron. We need each other's gifts. And we can't accomplish everything that we need to accomplish in this life unless we're coming together on a regular basis to encourage and strengthen one another for the work. I share this statistic with you recently. Churches are everywhere from 30 to 50% drop in attendance in this situation. That's very alarming. And actually, particularly in, the, in all the Western cultures, church participation is on a steady decline. Now, what, what can I just observe from that, just from conjecture, that it's not a value? The idea and the concept of the church is losing its value in the world around us. And so we have to go back to the scripture and go, what does the scripture teach us about the church? I, I, maybe, I don't remember which service last week. Maybe I did both two weeks ago. I, when I finally caught the vision of the church, it changed my life. It's why I'm standing up here today. Because at one point in my life, rather than just being a, 
having lots of opinions about the church and being a noisy critic on the sidelines, God went, okay, smart guy, get in the game. And he drug me out in the field and said, see how, see how challenging it actually is? But see how much I love my people? I love my people so much that even hell won't prevail against them, despite all your criticism. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm starting to get this picture. I'm like, wait a minute, God is building a gloriously messy church, a broken people that he uses through his grace to bring his great revelation to the earth. He uses us together to do that. Let's not neglect meeting together. We need each other. We need to come together. And, and, and again, not in a, you don't run out of here and, and to your friend that hasn't been to church in six months and start thumping them over the head. Hey, you need to get into church. Jared was on your case today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we can find a life-giving way to do that, let's do it. But it's got to be life-giving. It's got to be from grace. It's got to be from a, a right heart and a right motivation. Because a critical, legalistic, go-to-church attitude never worked for anybody. It, I think it will flourish and be full of life when we catch the vision of the church. What is the church, really? It's God's force on the earth. His community of believers that are changing lives. Changing lives. I look at the world around us and I, that's what, that's what the world needs. A hope-filled message that changes lives. We think we're going to get life changed from Whatever thing, fill in the blank. It isn't going to happen. It's only God can fill that void. I mean, the mission field is huge. And it's right around us in our everyday lives. I was looking at some statistics a few weeks ago. Last week, maybe. Maybe this week, some of us. Anyway, do you know what the population of the United States was in 1776? Two and a half million people. Do you know what the population is today? I think 329 million or something like that. We're like dang near 200 times the size. Only, you know, yeah, 1776 sounds like a long time ago. That's a rapid, rapid growth. Here's the thing. From the beginning of time, whatever you believe about that, to the year 1800, the population on the world finally reached 1 billion people in 1800. That was only 220 years ago. How many people are on the planet today? 7.5 billion? If you draw that on a timeline from Adam and Eve, the line looks about like this. And then you hit just 220 years ago, it goes, what in the world is going on? I don't know how they measure this. They, whoever they is. (laughs) Uh, there's, uh, in the year 1800, going back then, they estimate that human knowledge was increasing. It was doubling on a pace of about every 100 years. So from like 1700 to 1800, all cumulative human knowledge doubled. I don't know how you measure that really. Do you know what the doubling rate they estimate today? Now I want you to think about this. All of human knowledge doubling in 11 to 12 hours. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. What that does 
to people. You cannot, uh, humanity can no longer adapt fast enough to the rate of the increase of knowledge. Why do we have super high anxiety and stress and chaos? That could be it. But here's the thing. We went from one billion people on the entire planet in the year 1800. We're at seven and a half billion today. The fields are ready for harvest. There's so many opportunities and people to live this mission with. We had Regions Beyond meeting yesterday, thanks to those of you that joined us for prayer yesterday, gathering with people. People in the Philippines got up at one in the morning to be online and pray with us. And they were praying for the United States and Mexico and Brazil specifically. They prayed for you yesterday. There's so many people. There's so much opportunity. There's so much awesome, good, cool things being a part of the body of Christ. And there's such a need in a world that is losing its mind literally. We are a people that have a message of hope and peace and comfort and eternal life and forgiveness and restoration and health on every level. We have that. Nothing in the world has that like we do. We are the church, God's people. We need each other. We need to be together. We need to invest in each other's lives. We need one another. The value of the church is so high that Jesus died to see its work accomplished. He laid down his life to set the stage and pave the way for his people to begin to live the mission. Now, there's so many other missions. Here's one of the cleverest distractions of our enemy. He's an imposter. He's like, he knows there's one true mission. And so what does he do? He comes up with dozens of counterfeit missions. Absorb your life in materialism, addiction, whatever. Make something else your mission in life because you'll find satisfaction in that or your solutions in that. Whatever that is, it's different for everybody in many different ways. And so we have to look into the word of God, which is like a mirror, and it reflects back on us, and we look and we say, what is my mission? Is it in alignment with the church's mission, and what is my part to play? I wish I could answer that for everybody, but it's, it's part of your journey in your relationship with God, in your prayer life, to be going to God and saying, God, how do I fit in this picture? Is it, it's not even, sometimes we think it needs to be, well, you're called to be a label. I don't even think it's that. It's, it, it's, it's, it's calling to an attitude and a mindset that is reflective of the love of Christ in your everyday life, more than it's about a job or a, anything in particular. It's just an everyday reflection of the love of Christ in the world around us. That is our mission. That's how we discipleize. See, whoever you are, whatever you do, you, you are, God is overflowing out of you through your actions and your words and influencing people, hopefully, in a positive way towards who God is. See, it's not that you have to... Be a teacher or a preacher like I am right now, or you need to be a leader of some nonprofit or something like that. It's however God has wired you is so valuable to the kingdom of God. So stop and take inventory and go, is the truth that I know being put into action in my life? How am I doing that? How do I do that? How do I find the answers to that? 
there's a passage in, I believe it's Proverbs, where he says, go and look at the ant, you sluggard, and consider her ways. That's in the Bible. Now, if you go and you look at an anthill, what do you see? I mean, when I was a kid, like, we, we had anthills around the house, and they were subject to some torturous activities for sure. When you stand there and you look at that anthill and you just see they're working hard. They're all doing something. They're getting ready for winter. They understand that there's a mission for them to accomplish. And so we could look at that and say, well, the writer of Proverbs there is teaching us to be hard workers. And I believe that would be true. We're called to be hard workers, be diligent in the way that we work and give good effort in our job. But I also look, and, and what else do I see about the wisdom of those ants? They all play a part. They do it together. They're there for one another's success. That's what the church is like. Everybody contributing in their own little way. And you know, you see that one little ant dragging that stick or whatever. It's like, how am, you look at that big pile that they made and realize they did it one little thing at a time to accomplish that great work. It's a powerful illustration for you and I and the church and go, Okay, am I engaged in this mission? Paul is a great example to us as one who fulfilled the mission, one who went, one who taught, one who baptized. I'm going to share this briefly with you, Colossians chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul was laying down his life for the church. He was sacrificing. He was suffering. He went. He went to the world of his day and laid down his life and ultimately, literally laid down his life for the work that he was doing. He was executed at the end of his life for being a Christian. He understood what Jesus had said, go and live this, and he did. And he's a great example to us about it. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. There we see some teaching. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim. There you see some preaching, right? Some mission being lived, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Here's a key phrase I want to focus in on to wrap up today. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all my energy. What was Paul's objective of his disciplizing the people? He went, he taught, he baptized, he instructed, he ultimately laid down his life. What is he working towards? What end of this disciplizing is he going for? That he could present us all mature. Even today, Paul is working in you and I's lives through the words he wrote, which is the word of God, to present us as mature believers in Christ. And you and I then are faced with that question that's a little bit uncomfortable and we have to wrestle with, am I mature? How do I become mature? Maybe we'll look at this a little more in the weeks ahead. But the challenge for you and I, while we're living this mission, isn't that we just got saved one day and sometimes we go to church. No, no, there's very much 
a maturing, a discipleizing, a mission to be accomplished, that collectively we would be helping others come into this transformational, powerful knowledge of Christ. I keep using that word, right? Transformational power. I look at the world around me and the chaos with which it operates and the hopelessness and the anger and all this stuff, and I go, there is a, I think there's a transformation needed and there's nothing in the universe that will suffice except for Jesus Christ and his gospel. That transformational power, it changes the heart of a person. It changes the mind and direction. It's his power at work. So my challenge to you and my encouragement, if I can this morning, is to reflect on that mission. We talked about recognizing that there even is a mission a couple of weeks ago, and then going, am I on a journey towards maturity? What am I doing to mature myself spiritually and in my faith? Okay, I'm, I'm attending church today. That's great. That's a great start to hear from the Word of God. Am I taking in a diet of the Word of God? Am I praying at all? Or am I praying for other people? Am I maybe writing down what I think maybe God is stirring in my heart and how he's speaking to me so that I can test that according to the word of God? You know, am I thinking of others? How can I serve others? How can I bring that attitude of Christ into the lives of others? That's our mission, is to discipleize a world that is in desperate need of hope. Would you stand, please? Are you okay with that? Are you, hope you're encouraged. Hope you're a little provoked. Let's live the mission, guys. Like 40% of congregations aren't even showing up to church these days. It's like, do we really value the church? Do we care about its mission? Do we care what it's about? Well, let's look at the word of God and take his counsel and be motivated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's just such a, surprising things sometimes to think that you employ us in your mission. Broken, frail, flawed people like us, you still love us. And you grab us by the hand and you say, come on, let's go do this. My, my mercy is new every morning. God, you will accomplish it because you set out to accomplish it. It won't be because we're wonderful, amazing, but because you're wonderful and amazing. You will accomplish what you have set out to accomplish. No one will foil your plan. And we are grateful for that security. And God, I pray for each one today that is here and hearing these words. God, that you would stir our vision for your church. That you would stir our sense of mission God, that you would help us to lay aside any false mission that we've taken on. Help us to see the true mission. God, we know that you will engineer this. You will orchestrate all events in order to accomplish your purpose in the end where you say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. It will see and be amazed. It says in Revelation, the world will see and mourn. It'll be great and powerful. And we praise you and we honor you today. I pray that you bless each one as they celebrate and are thankful this week. Remind all of us of all the things we have to be thankful of. 
as we celebrate this week. In Jesus' name, amen.